Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Drag Queen Dino Fighters by M.P. Johnson. Drag Queen Dino Fighters is like all that, was, <laughs> all that plays in my yeah. head whenever I, I read it. This was requested by our patron Robin who then provided us with the Amazon Kindle file when we let them know the book was out of print. Thank you, Robin, for being super helpful and a great patron and sort of a rarity on Terrible Book Club of the book that you don't get to read ever, even if you really wanted to. Even if you really wanted to read this ter- this quote-unquote terrible book. I'm using quote marks around that for now. Yeah. Um, you don't you don't have the option unless you have Robin on your side patronizing you. Yeah, unless you or unless you come across an old copy in a, you know, a thrift store or a used bookstore. I mean, we we really trawled the internet. Abe doesn't have it, Amazon doesn't have it, eBay didn't have like no one had this book. And what it was What the hell is Abe? You know, Abe books. Oh, I thought you meant some guy named <laughs> Abe. Yeah, Abraham J Simpson. <laughs> Abraham right? J Bookman. Yeah, he has all the books. Uh, but yeah, nobody had it, and so I was kind of dismayed, and I was like, "Uh oh, I have to tell Robin that we don't have it." And they, you know, Robin was really cool and was like, "Oh, I just sent you the file," and I was like, "Oh fuck, that's cool. I didn't know you had this book." <laughs> so, by the grace of Terriblo, uh and the grace of Robin, we are we were able to read this and review it for you today. Um, if this is your first time listening to the Terrible Book Club, what we do here on this show is read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Although sometimes, like today, we read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. So we typically do the opposite of what most people do in a bookstore while they're browsing the internet. Uh, and usually this experiment results in a disappointing read, although once in a while we do actually end up liking the book and it is a nice surprise. Our content warnings for today, um, in addition to our usual barnyard language, today's episode includes discussion or mention of animal violence and hunting, uh, some gore, sex, and just kind of general wackadoodle horror absurdity. All right. Um, Chris, do you want to read the back of the book summary for us? I would love to. Thanks. From the author of Dungeons and Drag Queens comes a fierce, bizarro tale of dinosaur-riding realness. Ivana deflowers chance at drag superstardom passed her by long ago. She has resigned herself to a normal life raising her son with her ex-wife while occasionally hosting Sunday morning drag queen bingo. And she's fine with that. She really is. Until her life is turned upside down by the one thing that's guaranteed to give a past-her-prime drag queen another shot at the big time. A baby triceratops that can outdance even the youngest and most sickening divas in Los Angeles. But the climb to the top isn't going to be easy. Not only does she have to contend with her shade-throwing former friends, there's a certain big game-hunting drag king with a vendetta and access to cybernetic technology. And what about all those bright lights in the sky and the shaking ground? Even if she can sashay around all these obstacles, what is she going to do about her own family? Drag Queen Dino Fighters is a fun and fabulous high-heeled adventure story that further proves why Wonderland Book Award winner M.P. Johnson is considered one of the most exciting rising stars in the bizarro fiction genre. And here are some of the characters in the setting here. So obviously we're in Los Angeles, as the uh, summary there mentioned. We have Steven slash Ivana DeFlower, protagonist and Triceratops parent. Madeline, his former wife and current co-parent and roommate. Reggie, their son, uh, the doctor, who is Madeline's dad, who doesn't matter. <laughs> sure doesn't. 
Spax the Triceratops, various drag queens and kings like Glamora and Bronze Manly and Roxana, and there's like Venus to something in there. There's a bunch of them. Ty, owner of the Chameleon, a drag bar. And space dinos. There's space dinosaurs in here, too. Okay, well, Paris, I half wrote a summary here, and you kind of fixed up the rest of it, but would you still like to read what we've written as a summary of this book? Uh, all right, so before we get into our review of the book, we like to give listeners a uh, a plot summary, just so you understand in general kind of the main points in the book and what it was sort of like before we get into um, our discussion. So here is our summary of Drag Queen Dino Fighters. Steven lives a complex life. He's got an ex-wife, Madeline, who still lives with him and their son, Reggie, and Steven's boyfriend, Bradley. He is doing bingo nights as his drag queen alter ego, Ivana DeFlower. Oh, and he just birthed a live Triceratops from an ingrown hair on his chest. Steven names the Triceratops Spax and brings him home to the family. Steven's been distracted at home, and Spax presents an opportunity to add a new gimmick to the drag queen act. He begins rehearsing with Spax, and despite assassination attempts by rival drag king Bronze Manly astride a shark, Ivana DeFlower is soon garnering lots of drag attention for the whole dancing dinosaur bit. Spax is ultimately stolen by Bronze, who harvests the eyeballs of animals he's captured because, I don't know, he's got a missing eye and a masculinity complex, but he just throws the eyes away, and the eyes create a little eyeball bar underneath his house that Ivana stumbles into face first, literally. They're all happy to lend Ivana an optical nerve in order to get revenge on Bronze and reclaim Spax before his eyeballs are also hanging out of the eye bar. A bit later, Ivana is invited onto Life's a Drag, a drag competition reality show hosted by Glamora, drag queen extraordinaire. Almost immediately, this gets ruined because, well, gay space dinosaurs return to claim Spax. <laughs> Ivana and her family and drag associates fight the gay space dinosaurs, and eventually defeat them by insulting them so hard that they run away back to their home planet. Madeline and her dad die, but Stephen, Bradley, Reggie, and Spack survive, and we cut to black. The end. Alright, so I think that's a pretty good idea of what's going on here. Um, as the back of the book summary said, it's bizarro fiction, so weird stuff is happening all the time. Alright, so uh, let's get started with the things that we thought were good. Um, you know, I almost always like to start off with my just brief assessment of what the writing was like. Was it edited? Hey, this was well edited and generally well written, and it had a keen sense of who its characters were, how they would behave, um, and how they might react in bizarre situations. I'm not steeped in drag culture, but I know a lot of people who are, and this this whole this book rings true to me. You know, if you were to kind of take a little a little funny jab at drag culture um in a bizarro fiction book this is what it should be like in my estimation it it works i would agree um even that that part where you mentioned how people would react in bizarre situations i mean sometimes people just don't react to certain bizarre things and you're supposed to roll with it and that's kind of part of the humor or like you're just supposed to right. You know, accept that something is normal in this world. Like, for example, when one drag queen is melted down to the bone, literally a skeleton, um, by just some laser from Spax. Apparently, Spax can shoot lasers from out from between his horns. Mm -hmm. That's not a big deal, and she's still alive as a skeleton later on. Um, in fact, there's like a sex scene between her and Ty. And I mean, they're taking the definition of skull fucking quite literally. Here. Yes, they <laughs> Let's sure Let's put it that are. way. They sure are. Um, so, like, nothing, no, nothing is ruminated upon the fact that she's just an animated skeleton walking around, or the fact that Ty, the owner of the chameleon, is having sex with a skeleton in the back room yes. while having a conversation with Ivana Flower. Just roll with it. Just like it, totally it's fine. fine. <laughs> Well, I mean that—that's how sort of how a lot of bizarro fiction works. Um, yeah, and it, this this had moments that were actually you know gave us a little chuckle. I mean, I don't know that I laughed really hard at anything, and some of some of the humor was like it felt a little over the top to me. But honestly, if you're if you're kind of having fun with drag culture, that makes sense to me. Like it fit in that respect. Um, but I know you and I were talking earlier about 
you know, like what, why does something like this that's intentionally bizarre work for us when so many other things that were bizarre, either intentionally or unintentionally did not? So I want to start with like a couple of examples that I think were actually funny for me in oh, this sure. book. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, like my favorite scene is probably the eyeball bar scene where there's just a bunch <laughs> of eyeballs under the house and they have a very tiny bar that Ivana can only kind of get into because there's like a small head sized hole and she can kind of put her chin on a very tiny eyeball sized bar stool. Yes. And all the eyeballs are just down there drinking about and complaining about their lot in life to be banished under the house and wanting revenge against bronze manly. It's a very slapstick scene in a lot of ways with like, you know, optic nerves being slapped around and all the eyeballs like jump bronze manly when they try to recapture specs yes. a few chapters later. It's very silly. There's a couple of like grown level eyeball jokes thrown in there that it's it's I chuckled a couple times because of how just stupid and bizarre it is as bizarro fiction should be. And then, like, one other throwaway joke. There was literally just one line because this didn't matter at all. It's like they're on the set of Life's a Drag and Glamora comes out and she's announcing the other judges. And it's like, I'm Glamora, a famous drag queen. And there's this other guy who's like a judge. And then also Cancerina, the multi-legged horrible demon that, like, skitters <laughs> into the scene and is, like, in a giant gold bow tie or something like that. Yeah. And that, like that's it. It's like it's never mentioned again because the you know the show is quickly interrupted by gay space dinosaurs. So that was like literally just a throwaway line, and I just like the absurdity of that. And I think, um, stop me if this is getting into comparison territory too early, Paris. Yeah. But like, so why did I find Cancerina funny here? Like a completely random out of the blue, like oh, it's a horrible demon monster in a pink or sorry, a gold bow tie. But I did not enjoy that style of humor in Ghostbusters at all. What do you think the disconnect is here? Because I'm finding it hard to articulate why that stuff felt lazier, but Cancerina specifically for me, so out of the blue and like, you know, melting someone down to a skeleton and then them being animated still and walking around and interacting still is funny to me in this respect. Yeah, um, well, I think there are a lot of things at play that contribute to why the bizarre works here and not so much in other things we've read. Um, so something I identified early on was like length and pacing. So with Boastgusters, Eclipse of Darkness, um, I mean, The Woman You Marry was was pretty short, but... Um, in a lot of things we've read where it was supposed to be bizarre or just was bizarre, it was difficult to appreciate because there was just so much of it and it got really exhausting. Um, but this book was about, a, what, 120 pages or something? 125? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, a little more than 100 pages. And, like, 100 pages is maybe generous. I mean, they're, you know, we're not talking, like, dense fantasy printing pages. We're talking, like, a, you know, a mass, kind of mass market Kindle page, so... It was a quick read, needless to say. Um, you know, so the length was reasonable. It was, like, bite-sized. And the pacing was also good, where you had sort of, um, you know, things were happening. And even though we're in this bizarre world, there's still a structure and, and familiarity in it. Uh, so by structure, like, I mean, we're still bound by some version of like cause and effect and we have basic touchstones like a plot, an intro, rising and falling action. And like, we also have a sense of the familiar where at least the main character has some things going on that most readers can probably identify with, right? Like, we've all probably had a strained family relationship or maybe we've had like hobbies that people in our lives just like don't get or, you know, maybe we've sucked off a space dinosaur in a Prius with unknown consequences. I mean, you these know. are all things... So I sucked off a space dinosaur. So what? So what? Right? So what? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we've all had these experiences that we can... You know, there's probably something that the reader can identify with in the protagonist. Uh, so there, there's a lot of things I talked about here, right? That make it so that even though the content is pretty bizarre, it's got enough things in it that can keep us, um, you know, keep our attention spans kind of locked in for a short period of time. 
and can keep us focused because we have things to look to, whether it's structure or the familiarity of, you know, a character we can maybe sympathize with, uh, you know, to keep us entertained. Whereas, like, with Eclipse of Darkness, I mean, that was just madness. None of it... It was also poorly written. So I also think the fact that this is well-written and edited obviously helps a lot. Eclipse of Darkness didn't have that editing and writing skill. Um, and it was just all over the place. I mean, there was no... There was really no linkage between one paragraph and the next sometimes. <laughs> it was like... It was just all... It you want was, some bizarro fiction, I think, Eclipse of Darkness <laughs> Oh, is. yeah. Yeah, that's some unintentional bizarro fiction. Um, and then with Postgusters, you had something that was like fairly well edited and, and decently written, but it there was nothing to cling to. And I, and I remember that the point of that was that it was absurd and had no meaning and no no structure or whatever. But I that's hmm. hard for people to identify with and enjoy. Um I really feel like this this book has a great balance, right? Where you have a lot of bizarro shit happening, but you still have a fucking regular ass story in the midst of it, right? Like yeah, you still so have a person who has like a goal, there's an antagonist, there's a problem they have to solve, they get the problem solved. I mean, sure, it's the story structure is a little basic, but the bizarro nature of the story kind of, you know, punches it up a little bit. And makes it a little interesting. Um, sure. Whereas in a lot of the books we read, we kind of have one or the other. We either have something that's super fucking boring or so weird that we can't... There's nothing to grasp onto and hold in your fucking hand, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I'm hearing that there's a couple of layers of what makes this work here. First of all, much like comedy, you know, when you're telling a joke, you don't just, you know, you know fart into the microphone and that's it. Uh, you have to, like, I mean, set up an do. expectation... And then break that expectation for the comedy. So, like, you're talking normally about something, and then you fart into the microphone unexpectedly. You know, if you don't have that preamble there of, like, oh, he's probably not going to fart into the microphone on <laughs> right. this one, and then you do, that's going to make it hit harder than just having that fart happen right there. So when in this story we have legitimate scenes of you know family strife happening where madeline and steven and even steven and bradley kind of have these tensions happening that are actually like you know pretty decently written for such a short book obviously we can't really dig that deep into things but there's like legitimate tug of war between steven's hobbies and his family life we we, we can all relate to that somewhat right. and then when you throw that in the midst of well there's drag queen space dinosaurs attacking at the same time and everyone's just kind of you know having to deal with that in the midst of that grounded portion the normal part that's what makes the bizarre sit a little bit better and i think even with The Haunted Vagina, the other bizarro fiction thing that we read that we ended up liking. So, like, I mean, that kind of went off the rails almost immediately with someone crawling into a, a woman's vagina right away. But it was couched in the sort of, like, I just met this person that I really like and I want them to like me a whole lot. So I guess I'll crawl into their vagina world for that. Like, that aspect of dating was part of it, too. And sort well, of like the that... betrayal of... Yeah, that book also that book had like a really intense emotional element to it that was very unexpected that really tied it together. And sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just really want to make this point because I think it's important. I think a lot of the time um people there's this refrain that we always hear or that I always hear. I think we also hear as hosts of the show is like, "Well, you're just going to suspend your disbelief." And it's like, "You know what?" No, the author needs to convince me that it is worth suspending my disbelief. That is my feeling. And I don't think it's just a automatic, oh, whatever, just, just suspend your disbelief. No, the author needs to convince me. And I, I think that in The Haunted Vagina, um, we were convinced by the emotional sincerity and sort of the, you know, the kind of like sadness and and like you said sort of this like relationship dynamic stuff it was it was um way more in depth than any book like that had any right to be and that certainly convinced me to say okay i'm fine with you being inside a magical world inside this woman's vagina and like in this book in drag queen dino fighters i'm okay with suspending my disbelief about like 
the main character birthing a dinosaur from an ingrown hair and, you know, gay space dinosaurs because it's got a little bit of wit and character to it. Um, It's written well enough that, you know, it made me want to keep going. And another thing that I think is really critical in this piece that may have been missing in other stuff we've read is that, you know, this book... (laughs) Clearly, either the author is, uh, you know, a deep fan of drag culture or does drag themselves because, at least from my estimation, um, all of, like, the terms used and, you know, the slang and just the way that people act in a drag environment speaks true to me. And so, like, you have somebody who is writing about a group of people that they know intimately. And so it's genuine, right? Whereas, you know, like, let's talk about ladies first, where you have an author writing about a group of people that they are totally alienated and estranged from. And so it comes off as really, really weird and deeply unsettling and wrong because it is. Um, I know that that's not bizarre. Well, I guess it kind of is bizarre (laughs) fiction in a way. Unintentional bizarre fiction. We're really going to stretch that definition here today with all these comparisons. Uh, Unintentional bizarre fiction. Um, And of course, like the last point of all of this is like, why does bizarre work sometimes and not others? There's always the element of like taste and audience, right? Like with both Gusters, it had decent editing and writing from a technical standpoint, but I had a hard time finding a lot of it funny because like I'm just not from that subculture I'm not from like internet people circa I don't know like five years ago or whatever so it just didn't land with me and that's not that's not necessarily the author's fault right like but it's just not a it's just that's not the kind of humor I go for and even though I'm not a drag king or queen or like or you know I've experienced enough people who are into that stuff and have seen enough drag that at least I could understand the jokes and appreciate some of them, even if I didn't think that they were like laugh out loud, hilarious or anything. Sorry. I know I interrupted you for like a really No, that's fine. This is the point of discussion here. <laughs> I think I might add on thought. top, like I, I don't want to keep harping on Ghostbusters here, but I, I think it's a valid comparison because the other bizarre, aside from the haunted vagina, I guess, but like when we talk about the woman you marry and eclipse of darkness and stuff like that, you know, it's a little bit of, authorial intent and what we think the authorial intent is it's more if you're laughing with or at the author kind of a thing so like eclipse of darkness i don't think that was meant to be something that you laughed with no no i think that was unintentionally bizarre for sure yes and like boast gusters was trying to be the laugh with kind of a thing and i think the thing that shot it down for us was again bringing it back to the fact that there's like this rising and falling action of plot like a lot of stuff in Ghostbusters is like there's a conflict that's resolved in the same chapter so it's just like weird thing after weird thing that's completely different chapter to chapter to chapter and you don't I mean there's a little bit of real grounding which is like so remember when we said the funniest joke in the book was you passed your geometry test now you have to go to war <laughs> Like right, oh, that's like so that's excellent. that's the that is what we're talking about, oh, right? Like you have the the general expectation of like, oh, we have a geometry test today. Okay, you passed. Now you have to go fight, and like that is why that part works so well, is because you had that brief moment of lucidity happening, and yeah. then the bizarre hit. Instead of the rest of it, just felt like bizarre, 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 and like you don't really have any grounding to relate it to because you're like, oh no, what weird celebrity is going to come out of the woodwork next? Especially since there was no element of real Willem Dafoe. Yeah, like, right. That right. William Dafoe wasn't the real Willem Dafoe in any way. Right. It was just like a name, like a, a name taken from pop culture. And so it didn't work for me because even though I'm familiar with the actor, the humor didn't wasn't derived from the actual person, like you're saying. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I, again, listen, if Archagent, if you're still listening to this, <laughs> I mean, it just so happens that you had the best comparison point for us on, like, a work that the author intended you to laugh with, but that we didn't like. And we wanted to honestly kind of be fair to you at the same time and not just, like, say, oh, this was so funny without kind of giving a reasonable comparison as to why a similarly absurd thing, like, didn't work for us in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, and like, there's only so much accounting you can do for, for the kind, you know, for taste and audience, right? Exactly. Um, but I think all the other things we said, um, I think that sort of defines why sometimes these things work or not. But to be fair, it is a, 
it's a very delicate balance. It's it's way more doing something like this is way more like baking than it is like cooking, right? Like you're yeah, you that's have a to great be comparison. You have to be really precise um and really steeped in whatever you're going to write about whether you are taking on the emotional intimacy of the haunted vagina a sentence that has just come out of my mouth um <laughs> or... <laughs> oh, or... terrible club. the only place you're gonna laud like wow the haunted vagina has some like real emotional depth in it uh right so whether you are exploring the emotional intimacy of the haunted vagina or you know that kind of the zany and cat zany cattiness of drag culture um you know it 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 still requires a lot of kind of deeper work i think that even though you're writing something bizarro and it maybe might seem shallow on the surface you have to kind of have those under layers to hold it all up and you know you have to be a lot more precise about the amounts of each thing you use much like baking um and you can't can't fuck up that recipe um <laughs> I'm I'm gonna stop this horrible uh, metaphor before it kills. Sounds me. like you didn't really um, get the uh, the ingredient balance right on this <laughs> metaphor. Uh oh, came out of the oven a little bit uh, too dry. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a burned brownie right now. Uh, Chris, why don't you um, take us through some pieces of text uh, that you enjoyed? Okay, I'm gonna read a passage here. Ivana is walking into the Bull Moose, the only bar where drag kings might congregate on a Wednesday night. In a dark corner, he noticed some men playing pool, grabbing their crotches and guffawing. Upon closer inspection, he saw that they were drag kings. He wondered how loyalty worked with them. Did they protect their own, or maybe they were as catty as drag queens? Maybe they would jump at an opportunity to dethrone the king of kings. It was worth a shot. He puffed out his chest, kept his hips in check, and approached in his manliest of manners. Playing pool, he asked. One of the kings chalked a pool cue and looked at Stephen over a pair of aviator sunglasses. Well, we sure ain't playing hopscotch, are we, boys? The half-dozen other drag kings laughed. Stephen crossed his arms. Say, you wouldn't happen to know Bronze Manly. Aviator glasses hawked a loogie over the pool table. It landed at Stephen's feet. Everyone knows Bronze Manly. His shows are legendary. He air-humps the carcasses of rhinos he killed in Africa. You know he's a big-game hunter, too, right? Listen, Bronze Manly took something of mine. I intend to get it back. Sounds like tough guy talk, Aviator glasses said. You a tough guy? The question seemed a little silly, considering Stephen was wearing a perfectly pressed peach button-down. Suddenly, all the drag kings seemed to have pool cues in their hands. One cue was wrapped in barbed wire. Definitely not regulation. Instinct told him to run, but if he ran now, he'd not only be failing Spacks, he'd be failing himself. So he uttered five words he had never thought before, much less uttered, and he said them with the same conviction that sustained him when he danced across the stage. Yeah, I'm a tough guy. Aviator glasses tossed a cue to Stephen. Tough guys play pool. Stephen bobbled the cue at first. He managed to turn the bobble into a sort of baton twirl. More graceful than tough, but at least it didn't appear clumsy. Yeah, we do, Stephen said. You want a break? Aviator glasses asked. The honor is all yours, Stephen said, not knowing quite what that meant. Aviator glasses nodded to one of the other drag kings, a burly fellow with a glue-on beard. Beard King organized the balls neatly in a little triangle frame at the far end of the pool table. Then he punched Aviator Glasses on the shoulder. Aviator Glasses stood in front of the table, placed the white ball, and leaned over and aimed his stick. The drag kings gathered around, their arms crossed over bound and flattened breasts. Aviator Glasses took his shot. The balls scattered. A couple dropped into holes, eliciting cheers. Aviator Glasses found the white ball and shot again. This time, none of the balls went into holes. Aviator Glasses nodded at Stephen. Stephen played it cool. He found the white ball and took aim with his stick. He thought back to the few times he had played pool with his dad as a kid. Mostly he just remembered balls bouncing all over the place, but he recalled his dad once saying, hit it really hard. The longer the ball rolls, the better the chance it has of knocking something into a hole. That seemed like reasonable advice, so Stephen pulled the pool cue back and jammed it forward as hard as he could. The white ball leaped off the table and struck aviator glasses between the eyes, shattering his glasses. Blood burst from the drag king's nose. Before Stephen could apologize, he was surrounded, but he didn't retreat. Instead, he grabbed two balls off the table and held one in each hand. He raised the balls up, ready to throw them. This he could do. Reggie was more of an action figure kid, but he and Stephen had spent a lot of backyard time tossing baseballs back and forth. He was confident he could hit at least one of the drag kings before they closed in on him. Aviator glasses called off the drag kings. 
Shit, you are badass, aren't you? Aviator Glasses said. Well, I usually expect you drag queens to be prissy bitches, but you? Shit, you aren't trying to hide your balls at all. You're letting them hang right out. I can respect that. Aviator Glasses wiped the blood from his nose and tasted it. You say Bronze Manly took something that belongs to you? Yeah, he took my dinosaur, Stephen said. The dragons gasped. Doesn't sound manly to me, Aviator Glasses replied. Sounds fucking cowardly. What kind of man takes another man's dinosaur? What kind of man takes another man's dinosaur? It's true. Only cowards. True. All right, so I think you guys get the the idea there, right? Like, there's still the very normal scene of, like, you know, bar pool game squaring up and betting something on there, the norm, like, the expected framing. And then the joke is that Steven has no idea what he's doing, and he just smashes aviator glasses in the face with the pool ball. <laughs> and that somehow still works out for him. Yeah, and, you know, it's I just like that it's poking fun at everything, right? Like, it's sort of poking... It's fo poking fun at, like, drag king and queen culture. It's also poking fun at the gender norms that those uh, hobbies perform. Like, you know, it's doing a lot, I think. Uh, so that's another reason that it kind of works. Um, just a couple of uh, quick good things before we get into things that were bad. Um... There are only two sex scenes in this book, and they are mercifully short. Good God, they are like a paragraph, if that. There's like, three. Three? There's um, suck-off scene in the car. Mm -hmm. There is Ty and Roxana, and then oh, there's uh, Bradley about, and Ivana. I forgot about Ty and Roxana, but they are all very short. Um, yes. Which is, you know, I don't, as you know, if you've heard this show before, I'm not really a fan of books with, uh, you know, unnecessary sex scenes but the three that were in here were short i could tolerate it it was fine um and all right things that were bad paris before we do that i have a game i'd like to play okay is this another guessing game no this is a musician game for both of us oh god okay. and i think it's something we should have done before in other books that will contain made up song lyrics within the text and it's like, so, Paris, I want us to go through some of the, because there's moments in here where there are song lyrics, like the drag queens or kings maybe might be singing uh, some kind of song that's a fictional song that's made up wait, in the text. And they'll... Wait, they're fictional? I assumed that all of these songs were real. No, no, those are fictional. And thus the game that I would like to play. Okay. Which is... You and I, as musicians, I'm sure whenever you're reading song lyrics in a book... You mentally try to maybe figure out what the melody might be in your mm -hmm. head. Yes. So I want the game I want to play is both you and I will look at some of these song lyrics, and then we will sing our version of what we hear in our head at each other okay. to see how different they are. <laughs> okay. Okay. So at location 298 is a fairly basic snippet of lyrics, okay. which aren't themselves funny. But I still want to see what you hear in your head versus what I hear in my head. This is location 298. Um, it starts with, I always come back. Okay, so there's not any song name or anything given here. It's just a random snippet of a song that is being performed on stage with Spax and Ivana. <laughs> okay. So, Paris, uh, how would, there's two ways we could play this game. Either I go first and then you go, or we both try to sing at the same time. Oh, God, that just sounds like we were, like, punishing the listeners for no reason. Um, let's just do this one at a time. Okay, would you like to go first, or would you like to hear my version first? How about you go first? All right, here we go with, um, I'm assuming it's called I Always Come Back. Sure. All right, when I, when I read this, this is what I hear in my head. I always come back, no matter how hard I'm attacked. I always come back, you can count on that. Okay. What do you hear? I guess I actually heard something kind of similar. Oh, okay. So we're on the same wavelength. Uh, except like, I don't know. It's like, I'm trying to think how I want to do the second part. Because the first part seems very obvious to me. It's like, it's you know, those pop songs where they have like a line that's sort of 
there's like an envelope filter on it and it's like kind of lower in the mix. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel mm-hmm. like the first one is it's like, <laughs> okay, it's, like it's like you have a little bit more of a produced idea. In your head. <laughs> I, just ha- I just have the melody. Like, uh, I don't know. I always back. No matter how hard I'm attacked, you know, like something like that. Um, oh, that's way better than mine, actually. I think I like your version a little bit better. I don't What's know. the second half? I always back. You can count on that. <laughs> kind of sounds like the village. I like people. that better, actually. I like your. <laughs> I like that a lot better. Okay. I, uh, All right. Let's do. Let's do a couple more here. Uh, this is my disclaimer that this is not me doing real singing. Please do not interpret this as my actual. I don't, I don't singing think voice. anyone was. I don't think anyone was. Okay. Can we look at location number seven hundred forty-eight with prehistoric? Okay, yeah, this is clearly in the style of, like, uh, Megan the Stallion or Nicki Minaj or something. I was thinking more, like, kind of a voguing thing. Like, there's, like, this house beat in the background, and it's just, like, almost spoken word kind of thing happening over, like, a generic club beat kind of a thing. Okay. So, Paris, I'd like you to lead this one, and then I'll give you my version. Okay, so, like, prehistoric. <laughs> I feel like... I just have to got a big dick but dick would be like it would be like just like a ah, or something like a stupid sound because it has to yeah. be played on the radio so they don't want to yeah. actually say it. <laughs> it's, it it's kind of like how the whole how anaconda worked right like they don't yes. actually say dick so uh, so prehistoric got a big <laughs> mesozoic lick my <laughs> Okay, that's pretty much in line with what I heard. But I had a little bit of a different rhythm to it. I had this. Pre-historic. Got a big dick. Mesozoic. Lick my ick. Ick. You see, now we can collaborate and come to a consensus and we'll have the true version. Okay, but Paris, we got to do one last one. We got to do Nightbird at the end. All right, so for this one, I'm going to do all this, like, two verses and a chorus, and I'm going to do both. I'm going to do all of them, okay? Okay, good luck. I'm willing to go first on this one. (laughs) So to me, it feels very power ballad, the way it's described, because there's, like, a little paragraph or two to kind of describing the music, and that feels... Because there's a piano intro, then the power chords come in. That's very power ballad to me. So I'm imagining something like, The day has no hold on her only in moonlight does she feel all right she's a night bird she owns the darkness and everything inside she will never try to hide she's a night bird that's the verse okay and then you've got the chorus she's a night bird and nothing can stop her she's a night bird don't try to stop her she's a night bird and through the darkness she flies forevermore okay um (laughs) since i recently learned uh separate ways i feel like i'm gonna do that's i'm also feeling this is sort of a separate ways okay all right interesting uh okay um maybe like uh the day has no hold on her, only in moonlight. <laughs> Does she feel alright? She's a night bird. <laughs> she owns the darkness and everything inside. She will never try to hide. She's a night bird. Um. I don't know. Give us the chorus. chorus Come on, give us uh, a big chorus. I don't know. Um, it would be like, she's a night bird, nothing can stop her. She's a night bird, don't try to stop her. She's a night bird, through the darkness she flies forevermore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, well, I can clearly, I think it's very clear who's the singer of the two of us. I I don't know. That was not, that was. I mean, I'm I'm not saying like we had like better, but like someone has a little bit better skill of melody craft in terms of putting lyrics to a melody on the spot. Oh, I don't know. I would say that would be. Bravo, Paris. Thank you for indulging me in that game. Oh, I I would say that would be you. I'm terrible at doing this shit. Honestly, I, anytime we see fake lyrics in text, we have to do this. I'm like putting my foot down <laughs> okay. on this like for, forever for now. We have to do it. All right. Well, now we can go to things that were bad. I think that's the longest things that were good section that we've had in a really long time, which is interesting because this isn't a book that I would pick up ever. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's really like only two quick points here, I think, on the things that were bad. And the first one is just something that you and I had a bit of a disagreement on, which is I don't think the car suck-off scene was that necessary. Like, I out of all the sex scenes in there, that one literally just felt thrown in to no effect. Why does she have like this hallucinated blowjob scene in the car? Well, uh, yeah, so I disagree with you about its inclusion because um, this actually foreshadows how the Triceratops came to be birthed from Steven's chest, which is important. Um, so it's not a hallucination. It's uh, her being abducted and remembering and like having a, a vague memory of the abduction where she sucks off the dinosaur and then it comes on her and the calm gets into an ingrown hair and then it, it gestates, gestates into um, the Triceratops. So I totally missed that. Yeah, and so later on, it's like it's stated more clearly, but that is sort of a foreshadowing of like, oh wow, she's sucking this like dinosaur dick. I wonder if that's how. Yeah, I wonder if she got somehow impregnated, and you later learn that that is indeed what happened. Um, and also, I just feel like I feel like Bizarro Lit kind of inherently has to have some kind of sex in it, and like I don't know if that's a rule. Maybe it's like (laughs) an unspoken guideline or something in the Guild of Bizarre Authors, or like I don't know wherever they have their clandestine bizarre author gatherings. Um, Just feel like we've never read a Bizarro thing without it having some sex in it. Um, So, you know, I get it. I don't like it. Like it's. I think, the, yeah, this is tough for me because even though we had a lot of good things to say about it, I only recommended this book to one person because that person is very, very into drag and weird books. And I was like, hey, you're the one person I know who might like this. So I feel like you this have to is... like provide the file, though, right? Because they can't get it on their own. Yeah, I told them that if they want it, I was like, here's a brief description. If you want to read this, I'll give you the file because it's out of print. Um but yeah, I uh, I feel like this is sort of a it's a very niche book, right? Like even though we thought it succeeded in a lot of ways, it's still really weird, and it does have explicit, although short, sex in it. Um, you know, and it's about drag queens and gay space dinosaurs. Like it's pretty strange subject matter. So, um, it's it's definitely falls into the category of like something that's not really for me. But I still can appreciate that it did a good job at what it was trying to do. And I was entertained. Yeah, and I still recommended it to a person who I know would have a niche interest in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, the only thing about it that really stuck out to me as bad was there was this one passage where there were two word choices almost back to back that I was like, ooh, not a good choice. Um and uh yeah content warning here these are these are generally derogatory words used for different types of people uh the i hate even saying it but these are the words that i thought maybe could have could have been different um the word the phrase midget arms is used in reference to a t-rex which like i understand the t-rex has tiny little arms but maybe use a different word there to just say maybe say it's like tiny silly arms or something um, rather than using this term that is often used in a derogatory way. Yeah, right. Um, And then a couple sentences later, the word mongoloid is used, which again, like, not great. Another derogatory term for for people. Yeah, I just... Yeah, just want... I really think we should avoid those. Just... 
it was the only time in the book where I was like, ooh, you know, like I'm getting, I'm reading the, you know, the dinosaur alien suck off scene. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then I see those words <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, like, you know, that's <laughs> not great. So, and I, I actually don't remember what the publishing year, let me, let me check, is on this. Uh, this was 2017 uh, by Eraserhead Press out of, out of Portland, Oregon. Um, so, you know, I mean, six years ago at this point, so, um, or five years ago, God, I can't do math. Um, still, I would, I would kind of hope that those, those word choices would be reconsidered. Um, just cause yeah, you know, it's, they're easily replaced and yes. why not? Right. Like, yeah. Um, Costs you nothing. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, I thought it, it did what it set out to do again. Like this isn't my favorite book. I don't think it's wonderful or anything, but if you're looking for bizarro gay bizarro lit like here it is man or if you're really into drag stuff like this is probably for you um yeah i i don't i don't think i would change anything about it yeah, i don't other, really think it needs fixing no other than the that literally just those two word choices and i feel like it would i wouldn't ask for anything different um because this is a very again a very niche genre um yeah, and they kept it short. I yeah, I don't know. Um, I yeah, I don't really know what else we would suggest other than other than those two minor word choices. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I you know I I for me aside from that, no notes. You yeah, do it's you. a it's a silly campy romp. You know, maybe it's maybe it's not for me, but I can certainly see it being for some some subset of other people. And uh, it was it was executed well, so. Who knew? There's a sort of a thumbs up for Drag Queen Dino Fighters. Yeah. You see, over here at TBC, we're reasonable people. <laughs> you know, we're not just giving stuff thumbs down because, oh, it's so crazy and out there and every, you know. Some people in YouTube comments have given us some flack for being like, well, they just don't like anything that's not like real life. They seem to be unable to comprehend when things aren't like real life. And it's like, that's not the issue. Where no. We read fantasy novels all the time. It's just about how you sell it to me. Well, it's how you build it, right? And how you convince the reader to come along with you. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, yeah, YouTube commenters also really uh, think that we can never say anything bad about a book they like or a book that is famous or popular. Not allowed. Uh, which is absurd. Uh, so, sorry, people that like books that we don't like. Like, dude, I'm sure you, I'm sure all y'all hate a lot of books that I love, but I'm not complaining about it on the internet. So, <laughs> all right. Oh. And with that, it's time to thank our patrons. Thank you, Dari, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Arant, Senya, Jakub, like Chorus, Elliot, Kieran. Martin, Luchek, Miri, Yanka, David, Anya, Patricia, Austin, Donnie, Crimson Paladin, Beast with the Least, Scott H., Robin, Laxtodes, Of the Void, The Taco-Eating Unicorn, Last Man on Earth 01, our Kofi Donor Kiwi thing, and finally our three newest patrons, that's right, three hopped on since the last time we recorded, we have Funny Robot with Antennas, Hobby Boy 93, and Selena, thank you all so much for keeping this podcast going. I appreciate you. Paris appreciates you. Yeah, and thanks, and thanks so much, Robin, for not only recommending this, uh, you know, this interesting little detour into bizarro fiction, but also providing us with the actual book. That's awesome. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for your patronage. Uh, we hope, yeah, we hope you request something else next year that's uh, equally as fun. All right, Paris. Well, it's time to ride off into space in our <laughs> drag outfits while singing about Nightbird. So why don't you take it away with me now, Paris, for one final Nightbird.
for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com. Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode, by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com. 